0: To you, Lord the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap Jesus in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with the truth and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful? to pay taxes to the emperor or not. But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Then he said to them, Whose head is this? Whose title? They answered, The emperor's. Then he said to them, Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, but give to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed and they left him and went away. The gospel of the Lord. In the name of our loving, liberating, and life giving God, Amen. Amen. Be seated. When you name your child after an angel, you should prepare yourself to receive unexpected insights from above. This particular young man, who was seven years old, was named Gabriel. His parents were good friends. I had met them and actually married them years before when they chose as the location for their wedding a most unusual place in Houston. It's called The Beer Can House. (laughs) The Beer Can House was the home of John and Mary Milkovich, a loving, understanding, committed couple, if ever there was one. Gabriel's parents were smart, they were artistic, they were somewhat eccentric. Suzanne, at the time, directed something called the Orange Show Foundation a creative arts organization built around Jeff McKissick's quirky Monument to the Orange. David, the groom, was an aspiring novelist and he actually worked as the film critic for the Houston Press at the time. When they approached their Roman Catholic priest at their home church and asked if he would officiate their wedding at the beer can house, he said, not only no, But asking such a ridiculous question is going to cost you 12 Hail Marys, (laughs) 6 bingo cards, and a case of Lone Star Beer. (laughs) Undeterred in their quest to celebrate their matrimonial sacrament in what was to them a hallowed and sacred spot they began to ask all around town if anybody knew of any priest who just might consider officiating their wedding at the beer can house. I have no idea why, but my name kept coming up. (laughs) And I have to tell you, it was one of the most beautiful weddings I have ever been blessed to bless. So fast forward, and their seven-year-old son now is attending Sunday school at Trinity Church in Houston, where I served as rector. And it's the first Sunday in the season of Lent, and the teacher is earnestly trying to help the children understand one tradition that is associated with the season of Lent, that is giving up something for Jesus in order to help the world. And young seven-year-old Gabriel apparently took his faith very seriously. When asked what he was willing to give up for Lent, Gabriel smiled and said, I'm giving up my future. His Sunday school teacher, after composing herself, suggested to Gabriel that maybe a more reasonable option, such as candy, might be appropriate. Fine, Gabriel said. I'll give up candy for Lent, but I'd rather give up my future. What a powerful teaching moment. What a powerful teaching moment, except the adults all got it wrong. Last night in this very space when 21 new members of our church reaffirmed their vows to follow Jesus as Savior and as Lord, to commit To a different allegiance in their lives. What they were doing, and what we are doing when we agree to follow Jesus is to vow, Lord, I give up my future to you. In fact, Lord, I give up everything to follow you. Like the great commandment for Christians and also for the Abrahamic faiths, which begins in the Hebrew scriptures. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Hear, O followers of Jesus, the Lord your Savior is number one. One and only And every other allegiance, even if it is to the Houston Astros, is secondary, if not superfluous. Gabriel was right, not just for Lent, but for today and tomorrow and for all eternity. He would give up all for the one who matters above all. Would you? Would I? Today's gospel exchange, so relevant for our world right now, between Jesus and two groups who had nothing in common except their common opposition to Jesus. The Pharisees and the Herodians. Now, I want to tell you that groups that are united by their common opposition, by what they are opposed to rather than what or who they are for, are groups that are not likely ever to change the world in a positive way. In fact, they are more likely to do more harm than good. Their motive in this case was not to increase their own understanding of a very complicated situation, their motive was to win. They were going to win by trapping Jesus with a question that really had no good answer. Their false praise with which they so hypocritically began their questioning was actually true of Jesus. He did not show deference to any one group over another. Jesus was for everybody, Gentile or Jew, slave or free, male or female, saint or sinner. He was against no one unless that one was doing harm to one of God's precious children. But the question they posed was one they hoped would force him to show deference to a particular side, and it was the hottest of the hot-button topics in that context at the time. Is it right to pay taxes to the Roman emperor? Inquiring minds did not want to know. They just wanted him to get in trouble. Because, you see, if Jesus said yes, then he would acknowledge the legitimacy of the Roman occupation on the other hand, if he said no and sided with the Jews, it hadn't been that long ago that tax resistors like Judas the Galilean and his sons had been executed for refusing to pay taxes. Jesus then asked his inquisitors, they were not inquirers, they were inquisitors. They had, he asked them for a coin. And he asked whose picture was on that coin. And on one side was the image of Tiberius declaring him the son of the divine Augustus. The other side had the words Pontifex Maxima stating that Caesar was also the most high priest. Ruler and priest. Jesus said, Then you give back to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. But you give to God what belongs to God. When Jesus said that, these Jewish sectarian leaders, each of which thought they were God's true and only chosen, they would no doubt recall, as anyone within earshot would recall, that beautiful Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and all that it holds, the whole world and all those who dwell therein. In other words, it all belongs to God. Jesus once said, in words that people did not understand, my kingdom is not of this world, because it's just a different kind of kingdom. It's one that is built on values that sometimes seem so foreign and out of place on this planet. Values such as love and justice and peace and compassion and reconciliation. Jesus is the prince of peace, he said. The kingdom of God transcends this world. And yet at the same time, it transforms this world. It's why Jesus asked us to pray, and we still pray every Sunday, and for some of us every day, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So you go right on ahead, and you give Caesar back his little coin, because in the grand scheme of things, that amounts to what my small-town Texas father would say is just a hill of beans. But you give to God everything that is rightly his, the blank check of our lives, all that we have, all that we are, all that we hope to be, all that we hope and pray this world can be too. Because when we give as he gave, when we live as he lived, when we love as he loved, God's kingdom will begin to manifest itself on this planet. The past few weeks in the Holy Land have been devastating for so many. I can tell you that we grieve with all those who are suffering, and for Sandy and for me, it's particularly heart-wrenching because of our deep love for the place and the people. We have friends who are Israelis. We have friends who are Palestinian. We have friends who are Jews, who are Christians, who were Muslims. I've been there four times. Sandy's been there twice. We've led a pilgrimage there that changed people's lives. If you don't believe me, you can ask one of our pilgrims. Years ago, I was privileged to study in Jerusalem for two months at our Anglican college there, St. George's, on the campus of our Anglican cathedral there, so faithfully led by Archbishop Hosam Naum. In fact, it was on that trip in East Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives, not far from what would have been the Garden of Gethsemane, surrounded by Palestinian teenagers of whom I was quite terrified that I received my call from God. And so my heart grieves for all of God's children there. And it's our fervent prayer that someday we can return because not only do the ancient stones cry out, the living stones cry out. Those faithful followers of Jesus who continue their work of building that kingdom of God despite the overwhelming odds against them. If you ever blessed to go there, you will see what Caesar tried to destroy, and how Jesus triumphed over it. You'll see that place of Jesus' birth in Bethlehem, a town so special to us, where in the year 132, the emperor Hadrian decided that he would build a temple to Adonis over the site of Jesus' birth assuming that all those troublemakers who were following Jesus would never venture there again since Adonis' immorality was the stuff of legends. Hadrian bets that this whole Bethlehem birth story with angels shouting, peace on earth and goodwill to all people, well, that would soon be completely forgotten. Hadrian did the same thing in Jerusalem Over Golgotha, where Jesus was crucified, and the nearby tomb from where he rose from the dead there, Hadrian leveled the top of Calvary's hill, he filled in the limestone quarry, and he built a large temple to Jupiter and Venus on top. His assumption was that this crazy story of this so-called savior of the world would would no longer demonstrate true power through sacrificial love, but would be relegated to the bins of the forgotten. When our pilgrims celebrated our Holy Communion just before we walked the way of the cross, in that space where we gathered, you could see one of Hadrian's triumphal arches. It is plainly visible, but it is behind the altar. It is behind the cross. It is relegated to obscurity and powerless over Jesus and his followers, reminding us in a small way what triumph looks like in the kingdom of God. You see, it backfired. All Hadrian, the emperor, Accomplished by building over these sacred Christian sites was that he made it easier for us to find and identify them (laughs) centuries later. Because that's the way it is. The powers of this world are no match for the power that is out of this world but deeply loves this one. And through that power of his almighty love, we just might save this world. Nice try, Caesar. Take your coin and be relegated to the history of the dead rather than the testimony of the living. But that's not all you'll see if you go there. You will see more light and love and witness to a higher power, more lofty allegiance in that holy land as well. At the Hadassah Jewish Hospital In Ein Karim, Ein Karim, that place where Mary went to visit her cousin Elizabeth, both women about to give birth to men who led with a power not of this world at that hospital. So beautiful with its stunning Chagall windows celebrating the 12 tribes of Israel, you will learn about the mission of amazing women, bringing healing and justice to the whole world, the Jewish women who founded that hospital and who continue its extraordinary ministry will tell you that their dream is one of coexistence, of curing the sick, of making broken lives whole, of giving hope where there is none. On the other side of town, you'll visit a different place, Princess Basma Center for Children in East Jerusalem. It's founded and funded by our tiny Episcopal Diocese of Jerusalem who have few people but far reaching vision. It's a place that ministers to Palestinian children who have disabilities and no choices. There in that holy place you will not hear the name Jesus spoken. But you will feel the love of Jesus shared. Last week there was a little boy from Gaza whose name is Muhammad and he completed his initial treatment at our Princess Basma Center. And because he and his grandmother were still in Jerusalem during those horrible atrocities committed by Hamas and the bombing that followed in his home, he had to stay there. He's living there now. He's safe. And he continues his healing. And all of that is happening not in the name of any emperor, but in the name of the king of kings. Jesus, our Savior and Lord. That might seem like a tiny detail amidst a tome of tribulation, but I want to tell you, it's a big deal to him and to his grandmother. It may seem hopeless in this world, but it's not. As long as we let Caesar keep what he thinks is his, and we give God all that God rightly deserves.
1: to England or France You may like to gamble You might like to dance You may be the heavyweight champion of the world You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls But you're gonna have to serve somebody Yes, you're gonna have to serve somebody Well, it may be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. You might be a rock and roll addict, prancing on the stage. You might have drugs at your command, women in a cage. You may be a businessman or some high-degree thief. They may call you Dr. Or they may call you chief, but you're going to have to serve somebody. You're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. be a state trooper, you may be a young Turk, you may be the head of some big old TV network, you may be rich or poor, you may be blind or lame, you may be living in another country, living under another name, but you're gonna have to serve somebody, yes, yeah, you're gonna have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord But you're gonna have to serve somebody You may be a construction worker Working on a home You may be living in a mansion You might be living in a dome You might own guns You might even own tanks You might be somebody's landlord You might even own banks, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, yeah, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yeah. You may be a preacher with your spiritual pride. You may be a city councilman taking bribes on the side. You may be working in a barbershop. shop. You may know how to cut hair. You may be somebody's mistress. You may be somebody's heir, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. Oh, you're gonna have to serve somebody. Well it may be the devil, or it may be the Lord But you're gonna have to serve somebody you Might like to wear cotton, you might like to wear silk you Might like to drink whiskey, you might like to drink milk You might like to eat caviar, you might like to eat bread might like sleeping on the floor you might sleep in this king sized bed you're gonna have to serve somebody yeah yeah, yeah. you're gonna have to serve somebody but it may be the devil or it may be the lord but you're gonna have to serve somebody you can't call me terry You can call me Timmy You can call me Bobby You may call me Zimmy You can call me RJ You can call me Ray You can call me anything But no matter what you say You're gonna have to serve somebody Yeah, you're gonna have to serve somebody Now it may be the devil Or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yeah, you're going to have to serve somebody. Oh, you're going to have to serve somebody.